Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Oh, good evening, everybody. You can be seated. It's so good to be here with you. If you're the type like to follow along in an actual Bible, Numbers chapter 15, we're going to get there in just a second. It's always good to be here um, with with my Adelaide family and uh, my friends and Tony and Kat and the team with just becoming uh, good friends and building relationship. Of course, it's a real honor to have one of my heroes and friends, Pastor Danny Guglielmucci here um, on the front row. And um, we're just, um, it's, it's exciting to journey together. If those of you who don't know me, this is all I do, travel around. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So my stuff comes from that bent. Also have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I am qualified to sort your head out. So careful what you say to me. I can see through all that stuff. Immediately out that door um, in the foyer there, there's a small table set up with um, my new resources that we've done in the last 18 months. So we have a series on uh, revelation out there, um, a seven-part series on faith, uh, a series on conversations where I was interviewed over 12 hours by very smart people on Q&A. We just released uh, one this week called Mastering the Art of Living. And um, just yesterday, you're the the second church to have this, um, the, uh, the ACC in Queensland asked me to write a Christology course. And so we put together a 10-part series on the nature of Christ. And so that's out there um, as well. 100% of what we make from that, we give to the poor and the afflicted. We have three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. We have Rescue Home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. So if you don't want anything, God bless you. I'll see you in August when I'm back through. If you know, though, I'm going to grab something before I leave. If you could do that in the first 15 minutes, um, because I have to pack it up and take it to Mount Gambia with me. So have it... Haven't been to Mount Gambia yet, we're going. So um, you, can, um, you can pick that up out there. Now, I get to open the Bible tonight, and I take that very seriously. Um, so anytime you open the Bible, you want to ask two questions. One, what happened? And two, more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened. And so let's start in the book of Numbers. This is Numbers chapter 15. This is a guy named Moses giving the Israelites some fashion advice. Watch what he says. Where where is it coming up? Here we go. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corner of your garment with a blue cord on each tassel. And you will have these tassels to look at so that you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, so that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will, you will remember to obey my commands and be consecrated to your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. So evidently God is interested in fashion and he says, I want you to make tassels and attach it to the corners of your garment. An odd command to say the least. Like if I was to say, this is what God says to you. I want you to make tassels and put it on the corner of your garment. The obvious question to that would be what? Why? And and then God answers this. God says, well, I I want you to have these tassels to look at. So you'll remember that your practice matters more than your belief. That the only beliefs that actually matter are the ones that affect your heart to the way it, it, it informs your practice. This was the original, what would Jesus do bracelet. <laughs> this was the original cross around the neck. Something that could be empty jewelry. But for some people who wear a cross around their neck, it is empty jewelry. 
But for some, it's actually something that reminds them, wait a minute, God's ways are the best ways for my life. God's ways, that the cross is not something to believe in. The cross is a fundamental way of seeing the whole world. And that is two different things. Some people wear what would Jesus do bracelet and it's empty piece of plastic rubber. So some though, it actually is a grounding sort of thing that reminds them, wait a minute, hang on. God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. So they would put tassels on the corners of their garment and they would wrap it around their hands as they walked around during the day. And it would remind them, God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. That way, any time before you sinned with your hand, you had to actually unwrap God. It was a deterrent to horrible, destructive behavior. Now, there's all kinds of cool imagery in this. I want to teach you some key words. You're one of my favorite places to speak because you guys get into it, all right? So let me show you, let me show you four key words here. If you can bring that next slide up, all right? So the first key word is the word kanaf. Now with some go, crows, power, gusto, I want everybody to try that word. It sounds like this, kanaf. Ready? Go. Kanaf. All right, let's try that again one more time with a little more gusto. Go. Kanaf. Now kanaf is a corner of a garment, but there's only 8,000 words in original Hebrew. There's like 200,000 words in English. So every word has to mean more things. So kanaf can mean corner, border, hem, or it can mean wings. I'll tell you why. When the priest used to bless the people, he would spread his arms out and he would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. and be Can you see how the word kanaf started to mean wings. And so that was the word kanaf. By far the most important word I'm going to teach you tonight is the word talit. With that same amount of gusto, I want you to try that. Ready? Go. Talit. Let's try that again. Talit. So kanaf is the corner and the garment is the talit. Now like all words, words have a literal meaning to them, a garment. But most meaningful words also have symbolism to it. So the talit was the garment, but it was also the covering of God's presence. Here's the reason why. In the, old, in the old Hebrew way of doing things, there was a tabernacle. That tabernacle had a holy of holies. And that holy of holies is where the, the full presence of God lived. And there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And this is an exact replica of that curtain. It was the idea is, is that everybody wants the presence of God, but it's relegated to only one person every now and then. So we're going to hold it back with a curtain. But it's, it's sort of like this. How many men in Adelaide want to drive a Ferrari? All of them. How many of them can afford to drive a Ferrari? None of them. So what they do is they buy little model Ferraris and they put it up on their mantle. And something inside of us goes, I own a Ferrari. No, you own a small plastic model, but it's filling some sort of hole. That was this. <laughs> so what they did is they made a scale model of the holy place and the, the, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holy. And they called it a tallit and it allowed people to own a small scale model of it and wear it. I'll, I'll try to put this on. Give me a second. So they would wear it. You see this imagery a lot in scripture. Put on the garment of praise. Wear praise. This was a common sort of metaphor. The idea is that you can't separate your life from spiritual and natural. That if God is here, God is there. You can't have a life where God is with you here but not there. That that'll destroy you. That God is here with you at church but the way you treat the waitress, God's not there. No, God is there. 
God is there. When, when, God is there when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. God is there in how you treat him. God is there when she does something that disappoints you. God is there when she's taking too long to get your order. God is there when someone cuts you off on the north road coming out of Adelaide. God is there. God is there where you go. This imagery was everywhere. In an ancient wedding, they would take one of these and they would take four posts and they would put this over the top of the married couple. It was the original wedding altar. It was called a chuppah. And you, so you were doing your wedding vows and whatnot underneath the presence of God, that God was the witness. Actually, when a marriage was consummated, they would take four sticks and they would put this over the top of the marriage bed so that when the marriage was consummated, the consummation was witnessed by the presence of God. The idea is, is that you can't organize your life where God is here but not there. You take God with you everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say. The other two words that we must learn that'll come back later are the words tame. Let's try that, let's, let's try that together. Ready? Go. Tame. Tame means unclean. So when you were unclean, you had to announce that. Tame, tame, tame. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And the opposite of unclean, of course, is clean, which is he in Hebrew is tahor. Now, now I realize in English, tahor sounds like the unclean one, but <laughs> In, in ancient Hebrew, like, can you imagine someone, I'm Tahor, I'm Tahor. I'm ta in, in, the, the, the languages aren't related. Tahor is clean. Tame is unclean. But, but wait, there, there's more. Next slide. So he says, I want you to put tassels on the kanaf of your talit. Now, there was all this imagery in the tassel. What I'm going to try to do is I'm going to hold it up to that camera right there so that uh, whoever's in charge of the video can show that. So there's, there's a tassel there. There's all this imagery. You had five knots in that tassel, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In other words, it wasn't just the presence of God. It was how you carried the presence of God. Like, I'm anointed. So what? Everyone's holding the Spirit of God. If you're breathing God's air, if you're held together by God's name, for by him and for him and through him all things were created, and in him all things hold together, for the Spirit of the risen Christ is filling everything in every way. That's Ephesians 1. The idea of, oh, I've got the anointing. Well, so? It's not the anointing. It's how you carry the anointing? Are you carrying it in a way that is consistent with the word of God? Also, between those five knots are four spaces, one for each letter in the holy name Yahweh, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. So it's not just the presence of God. It is the word of God. It is the name of God. The name of God was recorded in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. This became the primary definition of what the name of God was. He is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. God, this is quoted everywhere, mostly in the positive. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and forget not his benefits. Who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases? Why? Because he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God who does not treat us as our iniquities deserve but gives us mercy that's new every day. It's also quoted negatively in Jonah. Jonah gets irritated that God's gonna be nice to the Assyrians and he's like, I knew it. I knew you were gonna be nice to them. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. That's why I didn't wanna come here. So in Jonah... Jonah gets a revelation that God is not nearly as interested in getting his enemies as he is. 
And he's not nearly as interested in getting you as your enemies are. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. In other words, it doesn't matter that you're anointed as much as how you carry it. Do you carry your presence of God as it attached to the word of God, the name of God? In other words, do you carry your anointing in a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness? In other words, you can be right but be wrong at the top of your voice. So so the the first thing is the word of God. The second thing is the name of God. This tassel takes exactly 613 loops to make it. There's 613 commands in the scripture. So it's not just the presence of God, it's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God. But every tassel on earth, when they finish it, they always finish it with eight strands. Eight endless strands. Eight is the number of new Beginnings, fresh starts, second chances, mulligans, clean slates, and the opportunity to write a better story. In other words, it's not just the presence of God. It's the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and always the grace of God when I fail, wrapped around how I carry the presence of God. It's not just the presence of God. It's how we carry that presence. Now, certain scriptures should start to come to life. Remember there's this one time that Jesus said, beware of people who wear their tassels too long. This is in Luke 15. Beware of people who wear their tassels too long. In other words, in Jesus' day, there was a certain group of people who liked to proclaim they were more spiritual than the next group. And Jesus says, beware of people who are too loud about how close they are to God. Normally, they're hiding something. Beware of people who are too loud about how spiritual they are. Beware of people who proclaim that their encounter with the Holy Spirit is more profound than your encounter with the Holy Spirit. Beware of people who set their tradition up as a higher spiritual plane than the experience you're having with the Spirit of God. Beware of places who say victory has a sense of the Spirit, but we've got the actual. Beware of people like that. Beware of people who wear their tassels too long. And that is my experience and yours. I've traveled this world. Anytime somebody comes up to me and says, hello, Shane, I'm the prayer warrior here. Normally not. (laughs) True. Normally the prayer warrior is somewhere praying and they don't care if people know that they're the prayer warrior, right? I've never met a prophet in my life. Not once. I've never met a prophet in my life that introduced themselves as a prophet. The real prophets are the one everyone else is going, watch out for that mug, that guy can get you. Beware of people who wear their tassels too long. Remember there's this one psalm that says, under the shadow of your, yeah, kanaf, under the shadow of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, under the shadow of your wings. Remember there's this one time, there's this guy named David, and David kills a giant, right? And he gets really popular with everybody except the king. And what you find out in that story is that David's a bad dude, right? David is Jack Bauer on speed, okay? <laughs> David is Liam Neeson's character in Taken, okay? <laughs> David is that guy. Bear, bring it on. Lion, come get you some. Giant Philistine warriors, bring it. David is a bad man. He's a bad man. But we also find out that when it comes to hiding, he's terrible at it. So, so he's trying to hide. 
Saul's chasing him around. And it says that David went to a cave called Agilom. And 400 people already knew he was there and were waiting on him. Which leads me to this observation. Bro, when it comes to fighting, you're amazing. But when it comes to hiding, frankly, you suck, right? It's that. So David's hiding from Saul. And it says that Saul went into a cave that David was hiding in to use the toilet. So Saul goes in there to use the toilet, and it says David snuck up behind him and cut off the corner of his garment, the kanaf. Well, hang on a second. If Saul's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels. So David cuts off the corner of his garment. Saul finishes his business, comes out from the cave, puts his garment back on, and would have reached for his tassels, as was their custom. But David is in the distance holding up the corner of Saul's garment. And it says Saul saw it as a reproach. Of course he did. What was David saying? Saul, I cannot touch the presence of God on you. That is above my pay grade. But I can give commentary that you've lost touch with your tassels. You still have God's presence, but the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. There was this sort of thing going on, this theme everywhere. Now, an interesting prophecy came about. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. And they were talking about this Messiah that was coming. Of course, if I say there's a Messiah coming, the question would be, how will we know when the real Messiah is there? Because if there's a Messiah, there's got to be a whole heap of un-Messiahs or a whole heap of fake Messiahs. And so how do you know when you see the real Messiah? And Malachi, right at the end of the Old Testament, gives this prophecy of how you will know when the real Messiah is in your midst. Here's what he says. Next slide. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The word is kanaf. In other words, you can tell who Messiah is by whether there's healing in the corner of his garment by whether there's healing in the way he carries the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. There is healing in his wings. Hmm, Mark chapter five. An interesting story comes about that centers around a synagogue ruler named Jairus and his sick kid. And what happens is un. Believable. Let me read this to you. This is Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21-ish. Uh, if you could bring that up for me. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he's by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a guy named Jairus, he came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Keep going. And he pleaded earnestly with him. He's, My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. 
So Mark chapter five is all about Jesus gonna go pray for a guy named Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick and when your daughter's very sick and you've exhausted all medical hope, what do you do? You come to a guy that rumor has it has a healing gift and you ask him to put, come put his hands on your daughter because your little daughter's dying. So Mark chapter five is all about Jesus gonna go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick and if we lose sight of the fact this is about Jairus' daughter, we might lose the whole point because what happens next is so spectacular, it can tempt us to lose sight of the fact that this whole thing's about Jesus gonna go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick. Now, so don't be distracted by the next thing that happens because the next thing that happens is really, really a huge miracle. And sometimes we stop reading right there because the miracle's so huge. But actually, this whole thing is about Jesus gonna go pray for Jairus' daughter. We can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is gonna go pray for Jairus' daughter or we're gonna miss the whole point of the whole passage. So it's very important that we remember that Jesus is gonna go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And Jairus came and said, look, my daughter's sick. Can you come pray for her? And Jesus like, sure, I'll come pray for your daughter. And it's very important that even though the next thing is really, really spectacular, that we keep in mind that Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter because Jairus' daughter is very sick. So let's not lose track of the fact that Jesus is on his way to pray for Jairus. <clears throat> See, Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. And it says something weird happened. It says on the way to pray for Jairus' daughter, a lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years pushed her way through the crowd in order to touch the hem of his garment, which leads to all kinds of questions like what and why and what's going on. Now, if you are a nerd... <laughs> Ancient Hebrew hermeneutics, they read the Bible through four levels. If you're a nerd, the name of those levels are Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sud. If you're not a nerd, one, two, three, four. <laughs> now, a Peshat was the plainest thing going on. So in the plainest thing going on, there's a lady who obviously has a health issue. We can presume she has some sort of female bleeding issue and she has obviously exhausted her medical options and she for some reason thinks that if she could touch the corner of Jesus' garment that she'll be healed. That's the plainest thing going on. The question is, is why? Why would she think that? The other thing going on is a remez. A remez is a hint or an allusion to something. And the hint in this story is the number 12. So she's been bleeding 12 years. That's weird. How'd they know that? What if it was 11 years and nine months? What if it was somewhere about 12 years? What if it was a really long time? What if she kept it a secret for three years? This is, this is not the point. When, when a Jewish writer says 12, in one sense, it's this one lady at one moment at one time. In another sense, Jewish readers would, would read 12 tribes. So on one level, this is about one lady at one moment at one time needing a touch from God. On another level, this is about an entire nation who's leaking life that desperately needs a touch from God, right? The question is, what's going on here? Now, remember those two words I taught us, tameh, unclean, and tahor. See, to understand what's going on in this passage, we have to understand that we tend to define sin very poorly. So we define sin as anytime you do something bad. Just something bad at sin. Okay, but in Jesus' world, sin was anything that wasn't perfect. So in Leviticus, certain things were sin is unbelievable. Like here's a few. Um, in Leviticus, it was a sin to have dandruff. Why don't you check your neighbor right now, see if they're living in sin? See if I, see if I... 
It, it, was a, it, it was a sin to have a skin rash. Anybody got a rash we don't know about? Could you just let us know, right? Anybody want to confess their rash, right? It was, hey, it was a sin. It was a sin to have a period. It was a sin because it wasn't a part of the original plan. It was a sin to have a period. It was a sin to give birth. In Leviticus chapter 12, it says, after a woman gives birth, she must bring an offering to the temple to atone for her sin of loss of blood. Lots of these things were sins. I don't even know how you lived back then, because here's what they did. Tamay was very contagious. So if somebody's unclean and I touch them, now I'm unclean. Or if I'm unclean and they touch me, now they're unclean. I know this is going to surprise you. What they did is they monopolized a way to profiteer on people's spiritual guilt. And they worked out, the more people that are unclean, the more people have to come to the temple and buy sacrifices. This is a brilliant way to profiteer on people's spiritual guilt. Now, we would never do that, but that's what they were doing back then. And so then the people profiteering, they started making more rules on more rules on more rules on more rules. So they, so, so they said, okay, the scripture says it's a sin to have a period. It, so it's a sin to touch someone who's on the, it, it, But then they said it's also a sin to touch a chair where a woman who's been on her period has had her period in the last three days. Like, I don't even know how you live back then. Like, if you're here tonight and you're on your period, could you just raise your hands? So we know not to touch you, right? Like, that's weird, right? Or if you're not willing to raise your hand, would you, would you at least leave a sign in the chair so we know not to touch your chair? Such a strange way to live. Like one rule was, one rule was it's a sin to touch furniture where a married couple have been intimate in the last three days. Like what you do, put a sign up? I don't know. Like how do you even live right there? Like I was teaching this at a guy's house one time and he made everybody get off the sofa. <laughs> he was 75, right? And I was like, come on, dad, really? Come on. This lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years. Now, let's stop. We tend to want to, where's the doctrine? Where's the, where, where's the doctrine in this, right? Just stop for a second, okay? Okay, but let's stop and read this emotionally. If you've been bleeding for 12 years, let's assume it's a female problem. Uh, you ladies, if you've been bleeding for 12 years and you've exhausted all medical advancements to help you, how are you feeling physically? It would be hard. There was, and remember, it's not like they had iron tablets at the health food store. It's, it's not like they had aspirin or paracetamol or ibuprofen. You had to just gnaw on a ginger root till you felt better, right? Like what, what, what kind of, how were you feeling? That's one. Then let's talk about emotions. This woman would not have been purposely touched in 12 years. When she walked in a room, good-hearted people, not mean people, Good-hearted people would have put their hands behind their back. And it's not because they were mean. It's they literally couldn't afford to touch her. Or everybody's got to go to the temple. She's had enough. And she hears that this guy's coming by, and he claims to be Messiah. Well, they, in their culture, they had all memorized all the prophecies about Messiah. So if he is who he says he is, there's one way to find out. That means there should be healing in his wings. There should be healing in the way he carries the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God. There should be healing. Here's the problem. She's an outcast. How's she going to get close enough to touch him? This is where you're going to love her, right? She's like, hang on a second. I'm Tam A, which means no one can afford to touch me. 
And she puts her elbows out and she's like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, right? You like her, right? She reaches up and she grabs the corner of Jesus's garment. And it says she's instantly healed. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't address the healing. He just says, go in peace. What's more interesting is Jesus does something out of character. He acts frankly weird. Like normally when Jesus healed somebody, his response was, let's keep this on the down low, shall we? Let's not tell anybody about this, but not this time. This lady reaches up and touches him, and what does Jesus do? Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus to you? No, that sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Like Luke, the force has left me, right? Like that is so weird. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me, which leads to all kinds of questions. Like, why would a first century rabbi point out to a whole crowd that an unclean woman has just touched him? Follow me here. If the unclean woman touches him, what's the whole crowd going to think he is? unclean. And by the way, as a side note, that is the whole gospel in one nutshell, that the one who knew no sin and had the right to claim cleanliness was willing to be despised and considered unclean so that the actual unclean person could have some peace. Right? Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has, I need all of you to look over here and think I'm unclean. This lady with an issue of bleeding, she just touched me. Strange. Strange. It's interesting that one of the biggest miracles Jesus ever did was an interruption to his schedule, which is a whole nother sermon around if God can't interrupt your plan and God can't interrupt your schedule, you might miss some of the greatest things God might ever do. That's a whole nother thing. We can, there's a lot of places we can go with this, right? Jesus, but it's very important at this point not to get distracted because that miracle is so ridiculous that a lot of times people stop reading. But let's remind ourselves, where's Jesus going? Jairus' daughter. And on the way to pray for Jairus' daughter, this thing happens. And then the whole thing turns tragic. It is horrible. Watch what happens in verse 35. This is just a few verses later. While Jesus was still speaking, some people from the house of Jairus came and said, the synagogue leader, and said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? Can I get the whole room to agree with me? That's rude. Like, talk about bad bedside manner. Jairus, your child is dead. Why even bother the rabbi anymore? That's so rude. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, Why? And what's going on there? And why would they tell him that way? Well, Jairus was a synagogue leader who was, would have been held to the highest standards of tahor, cleanliness. He'd have been hand, he would have been held to this high standard. Now, to understand what's going on here, you have to understand Levitical law and Jewish law. In Leviticus, it was against the law. It was a sin to knowingly walk into the room where a dead body was. So you couldn't know a dead body was in there and then knowingly walk in that room. That was a sin. Unless 
you're already considered unclean by the public. Huh. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to look this way. This lady with an issue of bleeding, she just touched me. I need all of you to think I'm unclean. Why? If he ain't unclean, they're not even going to let him in the room. In other words, Jesus is covering his bases here. In other words, what seems like a disaster is the very thing that made the next miracle possible. And that's true of your life as well. Oh, you lost your job. Good. It's time for you to start that business you've been dreaming about. And this is going to be, I know it looks like a disaster now, but sometimes today's disaster is tomorrow's miracle. Correct? Correct? Oh, oh, she left me. She left me. I know. I know. Ask your friend. She was sort of horrible anyway. It's a fresh start. It's a second chance. It's a do-over. It's a mulligan. Take it. Sometimes what looks like a disaster now is the very thing that makes the next miracle possible. They're not letting him in that room if he's not considered unclean. But Jesus covers all of his bases. He's like, oh, they think I'm unclean, so I can go in there. And um, by the way, she's not dead. She's just asleep. <laughs> wink, wink, right? Right? W watch what he does. Watch what he does. This, he's a genius. Next slide. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Can, can we just agree together that's a dumb question? A kid has just died and you're asking why people are upset. That's like, oh my gosh. Come on, bro. Come on, Jesus. We know you're carrying all kinds of authority here, but really, that's... Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead. She's just sleeping. Wink, wink. Right? Watch what happens. Next slide. But they laughed at him. Of course they would. And after he put them all out, and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he goes in to the presence of this girl. Now, before we go forward, I want to remind us. The corner of a garment is called a kanaf. Everybody together? Kanaf. A little bit more gusto than that. Everybody together? Kanaf. Now, the garment itself. Is a talit. Everybody together? Talit. Let's try that more gusto. Talit. It, literally a garment, but figuratively the presence of God. You carry it with you everywhere you go. Now, now, if Jesus is a Jew, and he is, he would have wrapped his tassels like so. Just like everybody else, to remind themselves that God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. Now, watch what happens here. Next slide. And he took her by the hand. Stop. In the first part of the story, a lady gets healed because she's reaching up for God. In the second part of the story, a little girl gets healed because God is reaching down for her even after she's dead. And you will find that to be true in your life and my life. That sometimes we get a touch from God because we're desperately seeking God. Sometimes we get a touch from God because God is desperately seeking us and he is not going to let us go. In the first part of the story, the lady reaches up for the tassels. In the second part of the story, Jesus, God in flesh, reaches down and serves the tassels to her. In other words... Even when you feel like you don't have enough faith to reach up, God is reaching down. And he took her by the hand and said, Talit, ha, kum, talit, 
ha, kum, which means, my little girl, I say to you, get up. But remember, the talit was what? It was the presence of God. Jesus walks in, takes her by the hand, and says, talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. And I came here tonight all the way from Mawson Lakes. To say, Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. I want you across this room right now to pay attention to your spirit. And if that resonates in you, and you know I'm talking to you, it is time for you to quit wallowing in what happened. It's time for you to quit wallowing in losing your job and start the business. It's time for you to quit regretting the seven-year-ago relationship fail. It's time for you to stop regretting that failure. And it's time for you to get up. Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. Now, I have to make this one point or my conscience won't let me not make it. I'd feel too bad if I don't. It is irresponsible of me to preach a message like this because some people will hear me say it's okay to presume upon God's power to fix what is easily within our authority to fix. And that's irresponsible. And unwise. I I think I speak for the leaders of the church. If I don't, I humbly apologize because it's not my place. But I would say that if anybody in this room gets lung cancer, we will pray with all of our heart that you will be healed of lung cancer. No question. But we would much rather you quit smoking today than need a miracle 30 years from now. Right? Like if you need a financial breakthrough... We're going to believe God with you for your financial breakthrough. But we would also like to know that you're getting up before 10 a.m. And that you're bathing regularly. And that you're showing up early and you're willing to leave late. And you're being diligent and you're working with integrity with your employer. Right? In other words, if it's within your power, this was the second temptation of Christ. Remember? Satan says, hey man, throw yourself off a mountain. And because God's plan is so huge for your life, he'll probably catch you. Right? Remember, Jesus was like, yeah, yeah, probably, but why would I test him when I could just not jump? <laughs> right? Right? Like act in wisdom. I don't know if I'm getting this. Like maybe, um, maybe Joyce Meyer can do it for you. If it's within your power to change your life, get off your butt and change your life. Don't let me come back here next year and find you in the exact same place that you are right now. If it's within the power to change your life, get off your butt and do something, change your life. Love Joyce. And Joyce, maybe, um, maybe Joel Osteen. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy you say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just reach deeper down inside of you. You become the champion God intended you to be. Because when life goes low, you go high. When life goes low, you go high. And if you can't go high, well, get Hey, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Whichever. 
But here's the truth of it, right? If you live long enough, there will come a day where you've taken all your medicine and it ain't enough. There'll come a day and you've done everything you could do to save the relationship and they're still gonna leave you. There'll come a day where your adult child is so off the rails and there's nothing that you can do. And in those moments where you're at the end of everything you can do, there's still healing in his wings. What does that mean? It means that God is committed to be in the middle of the struggle with you, that God does not sit above it, choosing what to do and what not to do. God rather is faithful to be in the middle of it with you and we should respond with clean hands, pure hearts, sweet taste, for this will turn out for my deliverance. So, well, watch this, there's one more thing. I almost forgot, check this out, this is, this is unbelievable. Check, next slide. And immediately the girl stood up, that's good news, and began to walk around. Oh, wait a minute, how old was she? Oh, she was 12. So this lady's been bleeding for the exact amount of time this girl's been alive? Maybe they knew each other. I don't know. I know it's not the point. I know on one level this is about one lady and one little girl, but on another level this is about a whole nation, and in another level this is about me and you, and it's a global need for our touch. It's a desperate need to stay connected and be touched by the hymn of his garment. What's that mean? The word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and the grace of God as it is attached to Jesus, the Messiah. It is that. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone. Yeah, that's more, that's more like Jesus. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone and to know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Why? I don't know. I guess you work up an appetite raising from the dead. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm joking. That was a it was an ancient Jewish test for actually, was that a resurrection or is that a ghost? Jesus did that after he resurrected, remember? He said, give me a fish. He said, you don't believe it's me, give me a fish. And he ate something and it didn't fall through. You know, it's like, see, I have a body, right? Anyway, my point is, is that for those of us here right now, there's two decisions that need to be made. One is that if it's within the power of your wisdom and responsibility to change your life, you need to make that decision tonight. You need to make that decision tonight. And two, there are those of you in this room right now who are at the end of everything you can do. And in that, I wanna pray for you that you'll experience a touch much like that lady did. Whether you have enough faith to reach up for God or whether you are out of faith and God is gonna reach down for you. Either way. I'm gonna pray that this prayer settles the presence of God into this room, that we become aware that the God that's been here since before the foundation of the world, that we become aware of that now. If you're here in this room right now and you say, Shane, I'm the one that needs to make a decision that is within my responsibility to change my life. And I want you, I'm gonna pray for you too, but here's my prayer for you, that you'll have the courage to act upon what you hear tonight. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I'm at the end of everything I can do and I desperately need a touch from God, I'm gonna pray for you as well. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I'd like to start my journey with Jesus Christ. I'd like to say my first yes. To say, you know what? I'm gonna be willing to trust Jesus's version of my life story instead of the one I've been writing on my own. I'm gonna put my faith and my trust in that. If that's your decision, I'd like to pray for you as well. So wherever you fit on that spectrum, let's pray together.
So, Lord, we just stop and become aware of you. You're the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. What would we know if we could know that you were with us now? And for everyone who needs to make a decision to change their life, I pray that they'll have the clarity to see it clearly and the irresistible urge to act upon what they see. I pray that they would not leave here tonight without the courage and the unction to act to change their life. And for those of you, for those people who are here and, and you're at the end of everything you can do, you need healing for your body, or your mind, or a relationship, I pray that that sense of the presence of God, the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God would settle over us now and that this place would be a dwelling place for your name. And for those of you who need to make a decision to say your first yes for Jesus, I ask that you would act. You can pray a prayer that says something like this. Jesus, today I'm choosing to put my trust in your version of my story instead of the one I've been writing on my own. I'm putting my faith and trust in that. Would you journey with me as the Lord of my life? Amen. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for being a part of your evening. I hope Jesus got bigger for you. The cross worked better. The resurrection is central and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. It's always a joy and an honor to call you my friends and be here with you. I can't wait to see you in August. But until then... Talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It's time for us to arise. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 